0: Hey, we've got a special guest today his name is Jamil Huck and he is a professor here in the history department here at Minnesota State University and he is the director of the Kessel Peace Institute he has uh, worked very hard in getting together a panel to discuss the conflict in the Ukraine good morning Jamil
1: good morning Karen how are you today
0: i'm doing great now this was kind of came together fast i know but it's a, it's an ongoing conflict that we've had in the Ukraine and it's disheartening to see what is going on. So I know you called together a round table that's going to be open to the public this afternoon. Give us a little synopsis of what we can expect.
1: Thank you, Karen, yeah. Uh, and thank you for having me on your show here. Yes. You know, this is the, the fourth time you've had me on your show, and I know on, on Saturday Night Live, when they have a guest five times, they make a big deal out of it. So you and I need to remember. Okay, party. Next time, <laughs> next time we need to have a party. We'll celebrate. <laughs> um, well, a couple years ago, um, uh, Dr. Bata and Dr. Englot got together a teaching panel and, and it was a big success. We did a sort of international affairs teaching panel and students came, and fa- uh, community members came, faculty members came. And my vision was that we would do the sort of same thing for a very topical in the moment um, conflict that's going on right now. Now hi- historians generally don't like to deal with the present. So I called together um, uh, Dr. L- uh, Dr. Inglot from political science, uh, Dean Lawiza who does 20th century Cold War history and international affairs, uh, and Dr. Hashmi who is in international business, as well as Dr. Cranking over from Gustavus Adolphus who also does uh, Russian studies. Okay. And uh, I figure we're going to get a nice, broad perspective. Each of us will give a short, maybe five-minute teaching uh, introduction, and then we'll just open the panel up for questions from, for the audience.
0: So your area of expertise, again, is the... Modern
1: Middle East.
0: Modern Middle East. So what can we expect to hear, that each of them going to give their perspective on what's historically has gone on in the past and who's like to and not like to and and how things have gone through the years.
1: Absolutely. I think our our real headliner is Dr. Anglot and you know his his experience living in Poland during the Soviet Union it, it puts him in a unique position to really analyze this and it's it's sort of his it's as well as it is his field. Uh Dr. Hashmi is going to give us a introduction to what this means for global business, which uh-huh. I think is going to be a good perspective. I'm going to talk about peace studies and conflict studies and what it means to have refugee crises and how uh, this particular moment should allow us to reevaluate how we as a world generally treat refugees uh, And Do- De- Dr. Louisa, Dean Loiza, is going to be talking about this in a Cold War context and Dr. Cranking is going to bring us his expertise as well. So you're going to find a lot of uh, broad contextualizing and some really deep knowledge brought to this panel that we're it, having on Wednesday at 4 p.m. in the CSU in room 253.
0: Okay, it's Wednesday. Wednesday at 4 p.m. in CSU 353. 253. Which is, which is the Centennial Student Union here on the campus at Minnesota State. And you said it is also going to be broadcast live on the Facebook.
1: Yes, yeah, so we're going to do a Facebook live broadcast through Kessel, uh, through the Kessel Peace Institute's Facebook page. So if you don't already like the Kessel Peace Institute on Facebook, go open your Facebook, log in,
0: K-E-S-S-E-L.
1: K-E-S-S-E-L. Search for it, and you should get the Kessel Center for Peace and Conflict Studies, and we will uh, be broadcasting it there as well as making a recording of it on Facebook that you will be able to access in the future.
0: But in person, they can come if they, if they want, and and I think you can park in the sunken parking lot. I think they charge something for it, but certainly anybody's welcome to come to campus, free, open to the public. Something you said that was kind of interesting, Jamil, is that history professors, history teachers generally don't like to talk about the present.
1: Yeah, Karen, it's really, it comes to, it's methodological, right? Um, And and in many ways, and I hope no political scientists are listening to this. (laughs) In many ways, historians don't like to deal with the present and political scientists end up doing that because historians really like good sources. Uh And it's hard to really separate out good information when something is happening. Um, So when we go to our sources, we tend to go to archives, we tend to look for unpublished material Uh rather than journalistic material. Whereas political scientists, they take um, more, uh, I would say lower quality sources
0: easier to access perhaps
1: (laughs) more accessible uh, more public and then also (laughs) they there's a tendency to do something called the nomothetic approach which is to try to take that knowledge and then predict the future whereas historians we can barely imagine that we predicted the past correctly Mm, so there's a there's a hesitation there not 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 to say that there aren't historians who deal with the really modern period but many of us are you know 30 years plus in the past and then much further back in the past
0: and you are currently teaching a class in specifically, what is your class called?
1: I am teaching two sections of our senior seminar, which is our capstone class, where our students actually have to write an academic research paper, and they're both on the First World War.
0: So, from that perspective, what sorts of conversations are happening in the classroom since this happened when Russia invaded Ukraine? What did that bring up? I imagine it it, it uh, created a lot of discussion.
1: Yeah, and I think one uh, one of the really important approaches that we have as faculty members here is that we always listen to students and what students have to say. So, some of the more sort of savvy internet sources that are doing real-time mapping, my students were able to bring to my attention. And different perspectives as well. I think the students are very interested too in this moment and what it says about the possibility for green energy. Uh, There's been a lot of talk obviously about gas prices and about foreign oil dependency and what a great moment we have right now as a country to, to really reevaluate the security of our energy sector and say maybe it is time to go entirely uh, renewable and uh, zero emission, and we certainly have the money. we are a very wealthy country full of very intelligent people, so the only thing that 's lacking right now is that will to go entirely green. Um, I also have some students who are looking at topics such as the Armenian genocide and the displacement of uh, people throughout Europe and Asia because of the war World War one that is and so there 's a lot of overlap obviously between refugee crises that happen the beginning of the 20th century, and these refugee crises we're seeing at the beginning of the 21st century. There's a lot of historical similarities, and there's a lot uh, to be said about contextualizing those uh, 20th century crises in a way that helps us to understand what's happening right now.
0: A lot of times we hear the phrase, history repeats itself. When you look back, is this comparable to a time when history is repeating itself and we didn't learn from before?
1: You know, uh, unfortunately, um, I would say yes. You know, Gandhi also said that history is the the study of war. People without war don't have history. And he meant that as a positive thing. Uh, Gandhi uh, meant that, you know, what we focus on as historians is conflict, when most of history is actually cooperation and people living together and prospering together. And it's wars that are the exception. But one of the things that really struck me immediately about this situation is that between World War I and World War II, many of the countries of Europe were democracies. Uh, by the time you got to World War II, you were left with just two democracies, Britain and France. Okay. Uh, and you're sort of seeing a similar process here. You're seeing uh, particularly, I'd say, Hungary has moved towards autocracy. And you're seeing some of these moves throughout countries in Central and Eastern Europe that are moving uh, further away from democracy that they had uh, set up in the wake of the collapse of the Soviet Union. And that troubles me uh as well as some of this rhetoric that uh Putin has about sort of reuniting or russifying places uh it sounds very familiar to some of the um some of the justifications for World War 1 and of course obviously for World War 2 and so I, I think this is problematic i really have uh hope though that our international community now is a little bit stronger and in part because of Professor Quincy Wright, one of the more un- unknown figures of uh, peace studies, he helped set up the uh, United Nations and uh, would have taught Dr. Kessel when Dr. Kessel was a student at the University of Chicago. Really? And yep. Kessel,
0: of course the Kessel Peace Institute is what you are named after here. Yep. Well, so so do you compare it to a specific incident or a leader or something? I mean, Hitler comes to mind for me. Is that who... Would come to mind as a a, a a colleague or or whatever you would call it of, yeah. of Putin because it seems, I mean, looking at it from my naive probably brain, I mean, it just looks looks like what is wrong with this guy? He's a monster.
1: You know, a, a Hitler is, is certainly an attractive comparison. However,
0: and easy uh, to do,
1: I'm reluctant to do so because of the context of the Holocaust and really the mm-hmm. the, the sheer monstrosity that then we associate with Hitler and the Nazis is. I think, unrepeated in history. Um, you know, a Stalin also comes to mind, but again, also <laughs> Stalin. Stalin was responsible, so to contextualize some of the history with the Ukraine, there was an engineered famine under Stalin in the Ukraine oh. in the 1930s, where Stalin specifically starved the country. And uh, I, I think it's something like 10 to 20% of the population died in that famine. Wow. So this is the context the Ukrainians are bringing into this invasion and thinking, well, this is the last time we were invaded by the Russians. Uh, So even even comparing him to Stalin seems a bit uh, overwrought. Um, Gosh, he's just uh, your run of the mill, narcissistic, imperialist uh, dictator. So. uh, But why now?
0: Why? Why all of a sudden? You know, that's the thing I think a lot of folks are saying, why did this happen at this particular time? And I, I don't know that anybody really predicted it.
1: I think that our government kind of saw it coming, and uh, President Zelensky saw it coming, and I think that that was what the impeachment trial, the first impeachment trial in the Trump period, was about, was about withholding military aid to Ukraine, and how this was problematic in the context of the global... I mean, it's problematic when a president of the United States threatens to withhold... Um, money from a country unless they investigate his rivals anyway. That seems impeachable to me. But then you put it in the context of what's happening today, and that's part of why the government was so outraged about it. And I think Americans should be outraged about it today as to what happened back then.
0: So do you think it goes back to the Trump administration, essentially?
1: Historians are always happy to go back in history and go further and further and further. I think the context of today's invasion, you have to go back there. Um, But to 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 talk about it, you know, it's hard to say what advantage, because in a lot of ways, what we're talking about here is very anachronistic, like uh, Putin feels like a a early 20th century military leader in this land invasion of a country uh, to seize their resources. It doesn't feel very modern, you know. A lot of countries have, well, uh, uh, the United States as well, has invaded multiple countries in the 20th century, and uh, in order to uh, seize their resources or to uh, do regime change. So maybe in that sense, then it's not that diff- different. In the context, it's some of the imperial adventures the United States has taken lately. But I wouldn't compare them to any American leaders. However, uh, it feels like a 20th century, early 20th century, or late 19th century invasion to. Uh, sort of maybe take over a country, take their resources, and then force population out, and then repopulate it with their own people. There's also a, a a religious context here, where you're hearing the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church in Moscow talking about this war as a as a religious war as well, which I think is something that that our press and academics. I haven't heard a lot about that. Yeah, it's it's hard to really give it that much credence, but unfortunately, when we talk about Islam in America, we talk about Islam in the news, and conflicts that involve Muslim populations, we always think religion first. Whereas when Christian countries are fighting against Christian countries, we tend to you know, oh, it's not about religion. But mm-hmm. it, it, there is a religious aspect here, okay. too. It's difficult to really suss out what it is, uh, but from the uh, patriarch in Moscow, this to him is a unificate, a war of unification of the churches. The Eastern Orthodox churches were in a lot of ways split in the 19th and 20th century by the way imperialism happened in the Ottoman Empire and in the Balkans. And I think that the Russian patriarch would be very happy to see a return to a unified Eastern Orthodox church.
0: Okay. The thing is, you know, like you said, as a historian, a lot of times you can't really assess things until you look back. What is a, a proper or a time period that you can say we can now look back and see that this was this or or that compared to what when you're in the moment.
1: Well, what I the, the research that I do that involves archives is I go to the United States Archives and look at Record Group 84. By the way, the United States Archives in College Park, Maryland are a beautiful place. It looks like one of those Star Wars spaceships that the Jawas would be in or something. Really? It's a weird-looking building, but it's beautiful and it's available, open to the public. And most people don't have a clue. Most people don't know. Um, You just go, you show up, and you ask them for your documents. So I look at things that um, United States diplomats wrote to each other in the Ottoman Empire, particularly from Baghdad and Basra, as well as their correspondence with their embassy in Istanbul and Washington DC. Uh, Oddly, there's a connection between Minnesota and the upper Midwest. Uh, You had a diplomat named McGlesson who was from some small county between here and Rochester, who was a US diplomat in Baghdad for a while, and uh, uh, Ravindal, who's a big figure in South Dakota politics at the time. Uh, And they were uh, family as well. He, uh, McGlesson married Ravindal's daughter, So there's just that interesting connection. And I look at these correspondences, which are unpublished internal documents, and I can say, at least to these individuals, this is what was important. Ah. There's no profit motive. There's no um, uh, uh, publicity motive. motive. There's just this pure, archival moment. Of course, archives are have their own problems and their own prejudices and biases, but at least you have some of that removed. So, usually documents and and classifications that's at 30 plus years. So, but more sensitive material uh can it can be more problematic. There might be longer longer periods. So, it depends on really on what you're studying. I don't really have any problems with mine in World War 1 as far as classified documents, but hey, that's 100 years ago. <laughs>
0: okay, so <laughs> So it depends on where you're at. But, you know, social media is the thing that wasn't present before, and it has generated millions of different opinions everywhere and all sorts of things. How is that going to change how historians can look back? Because so much is in the moment, and I, I think a lot of it's hearsay, I feel like, than anything else, even news. Uh, news organizations will sometimes pick up something somebody else tweeted or something and, and run with it and you hear that a lot so I feel like how I was trained in news is different because we were supposed to be un- unbiased and now I feel like it's more opinion I feel like so much more yeah. news today is, is somebody just spouting their opinion certain stations or whatever or outlets are maybe more so than others so how do you take that in as a historian to say well what is the truth
1: You know, you actually, this is a really interesting thing that that I've been thinking about this war. And why is this war the only thing we're talking about? We've seen wars in Afghanistan, wars in Iraq, wars in Syria recently that have gotten much less coverage in the media. And and part of that is that there's so many sources right now. Right. Uh, Our students who are very savvy are all on TikTok watching Ukrainian farmers pull Russian tanks into their fields and watching Ukrainian grandmas take out drones with pickle jars. It's really a war that's been televised to our population in a way that no war really has been since Vietnam. Right? Vietnam was on the TV every night. And whether it's a, an official government policy or more of a tacit agreement, uh, America's foreign uh, foreign adventures in the last 20, 30 years really haven't been televised in that way. And they've been televised in a much more sanitized way. Mm-hmm. But what we're seeing is uh, on TikTok and on other social media platforms is the true brutality of war. In a way that really, there's no, there's no two sides right here. There's there's one side. There's a country being invaded, and a country invading, and um, it's it's an incredible degree of brutality, and watching, being able to access what a normal person is going through, unfiltered. So, in that sense, in the social media sense, that pure, uh, that pure footage coming from Ukraine is very unbiased in in a sense that it's just uh, observer position um, whereas the reporting on it is more problematic and and i think a lot of people my generation and younger so i'm i'm, I'm only in my my what do we call our junior 40s um <laughs> we don't watch network news like we don't pay any attention to network news really so we okay because g- see
0: my generation would probably watch network yeah. news for example yeah
1: yeah, and, and my parents' generation, really, you're either watching MSNBC or you're watching Fox News, and it's fundamentally shaping your world view, Yeah, right? I don't watch those, but yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. And I would say particularly Fox News is far more biased yeah. than anything else. Uh, and that's just my opinion as an individual does not represent the opinion of the university. Or
0: the station. Or yep. the
1: station. Um, <laughs> but it, it is... I, and I think the decline of media in a lot of ways has been problematic as well, where we've seen smaller media organizations bought up by bigger right. organizations. And even our poor little Wordle game that everybody's loved playing on the Internet bought up by the New York Times. What's that about, New York Times? Can't Do you need to own everything, New York Times?
0: I didn't realize that happened, <laughs> but I don't play it, so I guess, yeah.
1: Uh, but but we're seeing a period and actually to take it back in history we're seeing a period very much akin to World War One and the uh, Sherman antitrust acts because you're seeing these huge media monopolies where one or two uh, three or four companies own all media in the world Mm -hmm. how is that going to provide us with fair and impartial information it's not so hopefully uh, we'll see another moment where uh, our government steps up and and looks at these media conglomerates and all these other conglomerates that are controlling prices. And I'd say that there's some price gouging going on in the United States right now. Uh, and really says to them, no, you you got to be broken up. You have to be smaller organizations so that there's more competition. We really, if we're going to talk about capitalism, let's have real capitalism and not crony capitalism.
0: So when you look at things like the inflation, the gas prices, et cetera, do you blame that on Russia?
1: No, I I, I don't blame that on Russia in particular. I blame that on oil companies. Um, (laughs) I actually think that... Because uh, then
0: people say, well, it's the president's fault. But he doesn't... Right, but I'm just saying that's that's the thought immediately goes there.
1: I don't ever blame a president for gas prices. Part of gas prices come from speculation on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Part of gas prices come from uh, supply and demand controlled by OPEC, which is... Russia is a country in OPEC, but it is not... Actually, I'm not even sure Russia's in OPEC to be honest, Um, but there are a lot of reasons gas prices are so high, and yet what we should be saying isn't, gosh darn, my gas prices are so high today. Mm -hmm. It should be, hmm, I wonder how much a zero-emission electric car costs. Uh And uh, what about alternatives to this? Because it's gonna have to end eventually. Why don't we end it on our terms and not the, the Earth's terms? Either it's gonna shake us off like fleas when it becomes 130 degrees every day in Minnesota, or we're just going to run out of it. So let's be proactive as a species.
0: That's interesting that you equate that with the, the green energy movement as well. So and of course, we have a show on that every Thursday that we talk about that sort of thing. So very interesting. Well, so this panel is going to be this coming Wednesday. And I want to make sure people put it on your calendar. It's about the Ukraine and conflict, a panel discussion. And so how is it going to go? Each of the professors going to talk for a little bit and then open it up to questions. Or let's talk a little bit about how it's going to work.
1: So as a reminder, first off, uh, on campus here at MSU Mankato, we are no longer required to mask.
0: Sure. Mm-hmm. Some
1: of us who are going to be speaking will be masked and some of us will be unmasked. And you as Two a choice, as an audience member, we're trying to get a bigger room so that uh um we can socially distance for the people who are less comfortable with being unmasked. And so. the
0: Centennial Student Ballroom is a large room. So. Well it's
1: not it's gonna be the rooms behind the ballroom. Oh, so two fifty three is actually ballroom. it's that room that it can expand to okay, three rooms. Gotcha. So we can expand it if we need to. Um and we will be starting at four PM uh and C S U two fifty three on Wednesday. We'll each start we'll each start with a brief introduction. So I'll I'll give you a five minute talk about Uh, History And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. A spoiler alert. I'm going to start with the 1770s. A lot of important things happened in the 1770s globally. Interesting. Not just in the United States. And uh, so I'll give my history talk. Everybody will give their brief talk. And then uh, Dean Loiza is going to be our moderator. So Dean Louisa is going to say, uh, sort of open us up with a discussion question and then we're gonna start taking audience questions. So this is an in-person event. We're really excited to return to in-person events. I think everybody's a little uh, zoomed zoomed out. I can't even believe that that's actually a word. Right. Uh, but uh, you're all feeling it, I'm feeling it. So we're gonna be in-person, we're gonna be right there. You can uh, get our autographs afterwards if you want but but really what we're trying to provide is a service to the community for people who have questions and really uh want some good information about this from from really experts in the field
0: well and is this unbiased information do you think or will it have a what do you what would you say to
1: well, as Edward said, said, all knowledge is political uh-huh. uh, i guess I, I mean I would say that this is expert knowledge and if there are biases the biases are clear and not hidden okay so uh, I think that right now we are in a sense a very united country about this and I think that what we're trying to provide you is not a political statement Uh, rather it is good information for you to um, just know more about the situation and and know maybe uh, where the situation might be headed
0: well I think it's good to put it in context too because sometimes these things you know cuz we are seeing it so much on social media may have come out of the blue for some of us and like you said Mm -hmm. well not necessarily but if you don't understand the context which we don't all Mm -hmm. follow history I'm sorry to say Jamil (laughs) (laughs) everybody does Um, but you know the fact is that there are people who do and can put it in in context and and I think that's gonna be so important anything else you'd like to add uh, it's on the Facebook so you go to the Kessel Peace Institute on Facebook and it will be broadcast live from there 4 p.m. this coming Wednesday. So if you're not able to come or not comfortable coming to a a place, you can do it from home.
1: Yeah, I just uh, thank you to the university for supporting the event. Thank you to Dean Louisa for supporting the event. Um, And, of course, thank you, Karen, for having me here, uh, my fourth visit to your radio show. Yeah, we'll
0: have a big party once (laughs) you do your fifth. (laughs) We have been talking with Dr. Jamil Huck, who is the Associate Professor of History and Director of the Kessel Peace Institute here at Minnesota State University, talking about the Ukraine in conflict, the panel discussion this Wednesday in the Centennial Student Union here on campus, room 253, and that will start at 4 p.m. or online Facebook at Kessel Peace Institute.